Hey, it's Justin. And before we jump into today's podcast, we just want to thank you. We know you have a choice in what you listen to, and we are thankful for you. Every month, we shine a light on our top performing, most downloaded podcast episodes, and you're getting one of those this week. Enjoy, and remember that every winner started as a contender. Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for downloading. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast. We're shining a light on bright ideas. And today we're talking beverage, my favorite part of the consumer goods industry. And on the podcast today is Leah Kaplanis. She is the CEO and founder of Social Sparkling Wines. Leah, it's so great having you on the podcast. Oh, thank you, Justin. So great to be here. Ah, I'm thirsty. I want to like. I want to try your beverage. I have to say, I haven't tried it yet, and I can't wait to. And I don't even know if it's in the Atlanta market, but we're going to dive into all that today. So, all right, let's start with this. You spent eight years at Nestle, big company, big consumer goods company, and five years ago, you just decided to start your own business. So, how did you make that decision, and then how did you get started? I would say that I was experiencing discontent at my day job for probably two years before I really got serious about starting my own business. So just those general feelings of, you know, I don't really eat the products that I'm selling. I don't really believe in it. Um, I don't even maybe feel just, I just not feeling passionate about about what I'm selling. And so I kept hearing, you know, families say, no, stay with them. It's logical. They're helping with grad school, you know, and you have a, a, you know, kind of a cushy job working from home. Uh, But at some point it was just like, it almost, I just felt so restricted that, um, yeah, that I started. uh, Actually, you know, what happened was I ended up getting diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Oh, no. (laughs) My gosh, I did not know that. (laughs) Wow. Yes. So I was like, it was one of these low points in my life when I was like, oh, I just, I I need to make a change in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it ended up, you know, it was weird. It ended up being like one of the best things that ever happened to me um, because I started, gosh, I went vegan. I started this whole, I, I chose to heal holistically. So instead of having surgery, I um, I went vegan. I did all types of alternative therapies, uh, different diets like raw veganism, macrobiotics, and I just started learning so much about holistic health and wellness. And I just my life just like lit up, you know. Wow, what and a I difference! And I kind of got on my path. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. it's funny because you know I know a lot of our listeners work in large companies, and you know a common theme. I find when I talk to entrepreneurs is, you know, there's kind of two paths, right? The big company path, it's secure, uh, regimented, lots of politics sometimes, lots of rules, regulations, slash, you know, can and can't do's. Uh, you know, it's just kind of a routine. Um, you know, a lot of big companies, though, do have, of course, areas that are more entrepreneurial. So I will give credit where credit's due on that. Um, but I find that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of feel like that, like you mentioned it boxed in, like, you, you know, you have this potential and these ideas and this, this desire, and you just can't find the fulfillment in some of the larger companies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially even in sales, sometimes at those larger companies, you might only like for, for me, I had a few customers where we did a large amount of business with, and a lot of that could be done via email. So I was mostly sitting at home by myself 
And I wasn't able to kind of hunt, you know, to go out and to, to interact with with anyone and have a potential opportunity come from it. Sure. Well, I know that for me, that's a challenge. I mean, like I'm, a, I'm a social person. Like I like to be part of a team. And even and everyone thinks, oh, working from home was great. But I mean, the thing you miss out on when you're working from home is kind of that collegiality and then engagement with clients, right? Yes. Yep. So you decide to start your own thing. Now, how did you decide I'm going to go start a beverage business and and build social sparkling wine? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's really um there's a lot of serendipity involved in it, I have to say, because you know, that diagnosis it put me on this this journey where I was just all in on the healing. I mean, I was so hyper-focused. I was so passionate about finding a way to heal, whatever it was. And I was exploring this opportunity and that opportunity. And then at some point I was feeling amazing and I decided I wanted to drink again. And I wasn't even technically healed yet. I hadn't really even gotten, but I'm just like, I'm done with this restricted, you know, life. I'm going to try drinking again. And (laughs) so I, I, you know, I started drinking and I just started getting like the hangovers and the and the weight gain and the, you know, getting in arguments with my now ex-boyfriend and, and I'm like, something's you know, not working just, here. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, I, I could see that alcohol added value in that it brings people together. It made me feel like I could express myself and dance and play and talk and live in the moment um, and relax, whatever, you know, but I just didn't like all the downsides. Um, and so I was actually also getting my MBA part-time um, at University of Chicago and put a team together for a business competition. And we went out and did research on specifically then, you know, what what women wanted in alcohol. And we ended up creating this concept that was missing in the marketplace uh, that we, we turned into a product. Yeah. Yeah. So 88 calories, one gram of sugar, so- mm-hmm. social sparkling wine, organic-free, gluten-free, sulfate-free. So how did you decide it was going to be wine? And then how did you figure out the wine market? Because I mean, you didn't grow up in a wine owning, you know, family or in that business. So how did you kind of figure out the market before, you know, and then create the product? Yeah. So I knew I wanted those features and that's what consumers wanted. They want, they wanted, you know, um, first it was taste and it was like, they liked the taste of wine. They didn't like the taste of beer. Um, but you know, the downsides with wine were the sulfates or the high alcohol at different occasions, you know? So I kind of went in like, what are you drinking now? Why do you like it? And why don't you? And so from that, we said, okay, if we could have this like product that put all of these things that they, you know, took out all the things they don't want, what is, what is that? And so, so then we just had to kind of make it. So from there, you know, the, the alcohol base. Um, I could have, you know, getting into the category, looking around, I, I could have chosen grapes, uh, but with that, there'd be sulfites. I could have chosen wheat, you know, for like a beer, but then you'd have the gluten. And so my, one of my partners, he was really into sake and um, yeah. And so the thing about sake is that it's, you know, it's made from rice and it's gluten and sulfite free. It's also known to be less toxic on the liver. And they have these really beautiful, beautiful bottles. It's a beautiful tradition um, in Asia, and it's still not very well known here. But um, I, I didn't want to use liquor either because that's so hard on the liver. So I thought, 
this fits with the values of the brand, which is to create something that, you know, the body can process well. And before you know it, I um, literally had this brewmaster who invent, he, it just, he kind of came to us who he um, had invented this new way to make alcohol from rice, this new process. He had never tested it. He had invented it like seven years before. He signed it over to us uh, for small ownership and became our brewmaster. And I changed it to organic brown rice. And he basically allowed us to create our own original um, alcohol base, uh, all organic at like a mass price point. Sure. Okay. So you, well, that's, and that's amazing. And I love the bottles and we'll talk about the flavors in just a minute. But um, so you figure out it's going to be wine. You, you, you happen across, and I'm sure there's some story around how you found your brewmaster, right? And then you got to put it in bottles and you need, to, you need to get it into a place that's ready to ship to market. So how did you solve that and figure that part out? Yeah, yeah. So we actually we actually launched in cans. Uh, yeah, so we were one of the first canned wines yes. out and you know, for about those five that, years ago. Yeah, who, those of you who haven't checked out socialsparklingwine.com, you'll see the cans, you'll see the sparkling water and the bottles, etc. Mm-hmm. So you started in cans. Started in cans, and I did that because it's it you know it was less competitive, absolutely um, lower cost, lower cost, fit the brand values for being environmentally friendly, uh, and also I had seen in Europe that the category was really developed and it really hadn't hit the U.S. yet. Um, yeah, and so people thought I was crazy, you know, putting wine in cans, but because I differentiated, it you know we were one of the one of the uh, we were accepted like in Publix, 1100 stores, you know, right away because they, we were, they were just launching that category and there was only a couple entrants, some big alcohol companies and us, and we were like the premium version. Yeah. So it really helped to differentiate and become, you know, a first mover in that space. So talk about the process. Not everybody's familiar with the beverage business. So how did you figure out where you could get the product made and, and created? Yeah. So, and I, t- I tell people this, that when they're thinking about, you know, they have an idea of their own and they want to move forward, that if reaching out to vendors is such a great way to get started because they have an incentive to give you information on the Absolutely. industry. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, you know, every industry has, has co-packers, you know, places that their job is to produce product for people who don't want to own their own machinery. Uh, and so there was definitely a struggle getting in. I mean, it took probably six, seven months before we got accepted by this really big co-packer. Yep. Um, and I had to literally drive seven hours and sit in their <laughs> office for three hours and cry. But now you have the story to tell about it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So it's it can be a challenge, but once you find the right partnership, then I mean, they're 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 kind of like your right hand. No question. To, to make it happen. Yeah, when you find yeah. the right partner, uh, in my background i've had bad partners and i've had great partners and you know the difference right and you it sounds like you found yeah. the right one so you start in cans and mm-hmm. did you start with you've got multiple flavors pumpkin chai toasted coconut almond pink grapefruit ginger hibiscus cucumber i mean what these are some incredible flavors which we'll talk about in a minute did you start with any one or did you go with multiple to start with yeah so i started with hibiscus cucumber it was a low you know on its own uh, I thought we'll just put everything behind that, and we ended up launching at the end of summer in Chicago with hibiscus cucumber. Um, 
going into winter. And so it was, it was very hard to only launch with one item. So I really recommend that people launch with like four items, just three or four. And share, so explain the, the reasoning behind that to those that are listening. Yeah. So to, you know, to kind of build the brand on the shelf so that consumers actually notice it and kind of understand what it's all about. It really, um, you, you need probably at least three items, I would say. Um, and so that's also going to help because, you know, just it takes a while to get, you know, selling enough to sustain yourself. I mean, you can, we're still not profitable years later. you know. Right. So. Well, I mean, if you think about grocery, you know, there's limited shelf space and, you know, I'm, I'd be curious to know if you had to pay for shelf space, but I mean, just in order to build, uh, build consumer trial, even, you know, you need to have at least more than one to, to give yourself some space and then give consumers an option. Yeah, for demos, which is a huge expense in, in grocery, it's so helpful to have multiple flavors because then if they don't like one, then they're going to buy the other and that helps cover your costs. Yeah. No, that's great. Okay. So um, you start in cans and then how did you decide, you know, we're going to add bottles? Had you already planned to do bottles when you started with cans or how did, what was your thinking around that? No, no. Um, the bottles are beautiful, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, so we ended up getting on this television show called Billion Dollar Buyer, and that happened last January. And it's, um, it, the show is uh, the owner of Landry's Restaurants. He's a is billionaire. His name's Tillman Fertitta. And so he interviews startups, um, comes and tests out their products in his restaurants. If he likes it, he places like a big commitment. Is it all food? Is it all food and wine, or is it all different types of products? Um, it's well, he owns a bunch of casinos. He owns Golden Nugget Casinos and he owns the Houston Rockets. He just bought them last last year too. So it can be like mattresses or artwork for casinos, but mostly it's food and beverage, I guess. Sure. So you get um, on you get in front of him. How'd you get that opportunity? You, you know, they found us. Huh. Wow. Yeah, it was a total total blessing. Um so yeah, so that was really life changing and he they wanted bottles for their restaurants. Got so it. we kind of hustled and <laughs> about um, your co-packer <laughs> which they couldn't do it so right. I had to get a new co-packer and buy machinery for them and all kinds of stuff. And now we just got those accepted into Meyer those bottles. Um and we're going to kind of be on the forefront of like a low ABV bottle category. Um So let's talk about retail. Um and I've talked about this with other uh, entrepreneurs on the podcast, but getting into retail stores, not so easy sometimes. Uh, you've got great uh, distribution and in the liquor, beer, wine you know, space, you know, there's a, a model for it in the US outside of like carbon soft drinks and water and whatnot. So talk about how you uh, made your entrance and how you got some access into retail. You know, the, the main, the main thing, thing that I needed to sell into retail, um, which I kind of knew from my Nestle days, is you need to have like a PowerPoint deck that explains your brand, you know, it starts, it starts with that. And, and then also probably a one page sell sheet as well. Absolutely. Um, and some samples. And from there, it's literally, who do you know? And can you get some kind of a warm lead? If not, you just send a cold email with your, with your goodies, um, and samples and, uh, and then start building a relationship with the retailers. So it was really, it was, you know, it was in Chicago, we got into Mariano's because they were really open to like local products. And, and then, you know, and then just kind of, kind of snowballs from there. And so what was your first big win? 
From our first big win was Publix. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. They're a toughie so they, too, by the way. They're, yeah. You know, they're tough to get into. And they're, you know, anyway, tough negotiators as well. But so talk about Publix. How'd you get in Publix? So I, after Chicago, so basically we were, you know, uh, having a really hard time and that we were, we were in debt. It was winter. We had hibiscus cucumber. We weren't selling enough. So I, I went to Minnesota and I, I sold us into a distributor there. And that distributor, um, I told them I was going to go to Florida. And they said, well, we've, we actually have an office in Florida. And so I went and met with them down there. And they said, oh, my gosh, we're meeting with Publix next week on this new category, uh, canned wine. We've got a couple other, there's a couple other products for it, but I'll show it to them. And then they, you know, it just was the right, right people, right time. Uh, and, and we got accepted in all stores. Um, wow. <laughs> Which, I mean, <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> that just doesn't happen very often, right? I mean, right? right. I mean, you know, uh, it's a it lot does. of times they'll do a trial. Um, they want to see the volumes and that will be mm-hmm. a subset of stores, right? I mean, that's typical, but that's amazing. Tip, that's it's so cool that you got, and I mean, into all their stores. It's amazing. And then you had to figure out distribution. So did that challenge your your model? In other words, did you have inventory for that? Or did you have to, oh my God, we got to figure this out. What, what was that moment like? So the funny part is, is that when I was on the way to Florida, I was driving there and my producer called me and said, you know, we've gotten acquired by a private equity company. We have to get rid of customers who are, who are too small and you have to do larger quantities. <laughs> Give me an hour. I'll call you back. <laughs> and I didn't even, not even that. I literally said to him, you know, oh, no problem. We can do, you know, 5,000 cases per item, which was just, we were probably had only done maybe a couple thousand cases. Total. Total. <laughs> right. um, you know, and I was on the verge of tears, but I definitely was, I signed up for doing these, these at the time, really large runs for and that was before I got to that Publix meeting. And so by the time, so getting accepted, I was, I was I was totally fine because, you know, I had this place that wanted me to do these really large runs. That's so funny. That is pretty cool. I mean, very unique story. All right. So um, flavors. How do you come up with these flavors? I can't wait to hear this. I mean, these are unique. I haven't even, you know, hibiscus. I mean, it's amazing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, essentially, I, I could see that, you know, the flavors were moving to to be more sophisticated than just say it used to be like cherry, orange, lemon. You know, I, I could see that it was moving into into more sophistication. So I knew I wanted to do two ingredients and that that would be kind of as much as the industry could handle or <laughs> consumers could handle <laughs> five, <laughs> five years ago anyway. And so I said, okay, so one ingredient, I want to be really cutting edge and I want it to be a superfood. Um, Elderflower. So elderflower, hibiscus, even ginger is still still not mainstream. Uh, And so um, I looked at what Argo tea and Starbucks are using in teas, um, what juice cleanses are going on, just just what ingredients, you know, I thought were getting a lot of press. And then I looked at a mainstream ingredient to pair it with. Um, Yeah. And then I also looked, I wanted the drinks to not scream, you know, to not be very sweet. That's our our jam is not very sweet. Um, and so one is, you know, more flavor and the other is, is not very sweet. Interesting. I love this. I'm looking at the strawberry rose, pumpkin chai, toasted coconut almond, 
This is really cool. I love it. Um, all right. So um, as I'm getting distracted, so <laughs> <laughs> which I love. So tell us, you know, a couple of the big lessons learned. I love to ask our, our guests this question. You've been, you know, out there now four or five years with this company and obviously growing. Um, what have been two or three of the big lessons learned you could share with our entrepreneurs that are thinking about maybe starting their own beverage brand or their own consumer brand? Yeah. So I would say the number one thing that I've learned is that really having a passion for doing something good for people, uh, being sincere about that. And, you know, where, where it's kind of like, you know, for me, it, it almost feels like it's like my mission sent here from above that I'm here to help make humanity uh, have a cleaner option and a healthier option related to alcohol and alcohol. Um, that passion is what inspires retailers to to get behind it. Um, and so, yeah, so it's like, you know, if, if you have something, some issue that, you know, or some problem out there that, you know, you're personally affected by, you see that others are affected by, uh, someone's got to step up and do and, and create a solution. And, you know, why not you? Why not? When anyone, we're all we're all you know here to make the world a better place. I think um, so. Yeah, so just really sharing like the you know a deep commitment to to you know to improving consumers' lives. I think is and having it be backed up by you know what's the ingredients, the transparency behind the ingredients. You know, all elements of the company and brand should really align with your values. Yeah, I couldn't say any better. That's. That is amazing and so true, right? And if every company, you know, built themselves based on what you just said, it'd be you'd have a lot of great companies developing yeah. very quickly out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. So another learning, I would say that um, relationships are everything. It is. I mean, even if you have the most amazing product, if you um, you know, a lot of what we've gotten done is because we are, we, you know, um, really strive as a, as a team to be uh, uplifting to others, to be positive. We don't talk, you know, about our customers or suppliers or coworkers neg- negatively. So just really, you know, expressing a lot of positivity and a can do, get it done fast and well done, you know, attitude. Um, that, you know, it's, it's, and businesses can, like I said, they can, it just seems like you could, you could be doing everything right. But if you, you know, piss off your supplier and they don't want to work with you or they, you know, a distributor. And so they're not going to bring your product in. I mean, there's just every step of the, the game is, is relationships. Yeah. And in the business, it's a small world and you think that burning one bridge will be no big deal, but that person could be your next customer. Yeah. And then I guess the last thing, you know, I'd probably mention the toughest part of doing this, um, which, you know, besides, I would say, sacrificing maybe, you know, personal time with friends or relationships, you know, because I travel so much for the business or whatnot, that that isn't as bad because I, wherever I go, I'm I'm, it seems pretty interesting. I'm doing, you know, something I love and meeting interesting people and it's, it's, you know, it's great. Um, so, but besides that, I guess is probably, um, dealing with in either investors or 
uh, you know, even employee issues that go south. So those to me are the most taxing. Uh, and Especially really, when you're a relationship person like you, <laughs> right? Yes, you're, it's probably why that. Yeah, yeah. So just before you get into you know relation business relationships with people, um, where they say hire fast and fire, uh, hire slow and fire fast. Yeah, which is a tough model, but it's the right thing to do. But in a small business, especially, you can't afford you know sideways energy. Exactly. It's like if you feel it. Other people feel it and literally, you know, and the hardest ones are when they're doing a good job, but they have bad energy, bad attitude. And, uh, That's a really tough one. Or when they, they know the business or know a certain part of the business super well, and yet they're like inherently negative. Like, you know, that's a real, that's a challenge. Yeah. So definitely the faster you can get past, you know, those things uh, just clears the air. So no question. Wow. Um, well, this is an uh, amazing conversation. I, so last but not least, share with our listeners how they can become a social babe or where they can, where they can find you and your products and engage with you and your team. Um, I can't wait to, to get our, our listening audience connected with you. Yeah, we would love that. Um, so social is sold in all 50 states now. Uh, and it's in a lot of the large grocery retailers. So some of the big ones like uh, you know Publix, HEB, Meyer, we're, we're rolling out in Kroger. We're actually going to be in four Costco regions oh, in April. Costco, big volume. Are you doing a multi pack yeah. for them? Not to get us off track, but yeah, yeah, yep. nice. It, mm-hmm. So that will be in April, and I'll be standing around a lot of Costco <laughs> doing um, samples <laughs> stores this summer on the weekend. You got to wear like the little boom mic and like have speakers and you know like come over here you know you're talking about like they usually have this the people in their sampling and that could be yep. you. <laughs> get your social <laughs> yes, get your social here yeah awesome. and, and then we also sell online um to about 30 states and so we can do we can ship that way um and our social media well, our website is socialsparklingwine.com and then instagram is a good spot for social sparkling and at social leah as well got it that's Mm -hmm. awesome i'll be heading to Publix this afternoon and they better have it here in atlanta let me know if they don't (laughs) (laughs) hey leah this is so awesome so i would love to have you back on down the road i am so excited about your brand I, i can't wait to see where it goes and i just think um and we and there's so much we didn't even cover today in the time we had but i'd love to have you back on the podcast that would be fantastic thanks so much for having me on the Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.